going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. You have one glorious and brief shot at being the you that is you on planet Earth and the power to create whatever reality you desire. Why not be the biggest, happiest, most generous and fully realized humanoid you can be? Greetings and salutations, my friend. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off the show with these little sayings and things that I've come across over the course. I've got a lot of them and just little inspiring words before we get into the show. It's a lot like when you watch the TV news, like, good evening. And I'm going to tell you about exactly why it's not a good evening. I'm kidding. We're going to talk some good stuff. We'll talk some not so good stuff. It's a jam-packed show lined up for you here on this Thursday. And we're going to start things off talking about that commute that you're about to get yourself into. Well, the dream, the hope, the aspiration is that about three years from now, it could get easier, especially if you're heading down Deerfoot Trail. Yes, uh, as you've heard in the news through the course of the day today, the province out with another promise. Whether it's a pre-election uh, little goodie there or not is the multi-million dollar question. Yes, this, the province is committing to making Deerfoot a little more easy to navigate in the years ahead. Now, the city's been undergoing ideas and thinking about ideas to make it easy. We had Shane Keating on uh, only just a couple of weeks ago to talk about some of the things that the Transportation and Transit Committee were diving into, possibly even slowing down the speed limit during rush hour, just in an attempt to not have it go to a complete standstill. Well, it sounds as though the province is on board with changing some of the major interchanges. They're also on board with changing uh, some of the roadway widths. We're going to see an extra lane before too long, hopefully. Shane Keating is going to join us in just a couple of minutes to give us his thoughts. Well, I'm going to ask him about the political ramifications as well. Because is this something that he thinks is just a pie-in-the-sky idea the NDP's throwing out there, or is this something that you know he thinks that every party can get behind? So we'll chat with Shane Keating in just a few minutes uh, surrounding that notion. Also coming up, we will chat experimental medicine. Yes, for those with rare diseases, there might be something on the way, and it's a partnership between Albert Health Services and the University of Calgary, and they uh, you've heard a little bit about it in the news. We're going to get the very latest on that from uh, Dr. Khan, one of the uh, people who's been behind some of the uh, research to that project. We'll also check in. It's been, a, it's been a day in provincial politics, especially if you're a conservative, and you're going, okay, I had it in my mind, I know I'm voting UCP. And then bombshell. Or maybe bombshell. We don't know what is going on anymore. Brian Jean, is he in? Is he out? It seems like he's, he's even gone on record to say, hey, this is, I, I've heard the rumor, rumor mills, but I've never heard anything involving me. So what is what is happening? We're going to get the latest from Adam, Adam McVicker in the Global Newsroom as he's been trying to make heads and tails about this. Uh, certainly a big topic of conversation both on Danielle's show and as well as uh, Rob's show. And we'll, I'll give you a, a couple of two cents as well. I also want to play some of the audio after 5 o'clock from Jason Kenney who was asked point blank about Brian Jean and what is going on with the conservative movement. Is there some sort of fracturing going on here? Personally, I don't know. I've got my own theories, but I'm not willing to put them out on the line quite yet because I don't have enough sources for me to to say yay or nay on anything. Uh, Big measles update from 
Alberta Health Services as well. And it's a really, really, uh, it's a deep conversation to have when you're talking suicide. Um, and one of the, the reason why we're going to get on that topic of conversation is a couple of Calgary Transit drivers being lauded for their actions in saving a young woman from uh, doing something uh, yesterday or in the last couple of days here. And it got me into the thinking of what if you, our listeners, find yourself in that situation where you're trying to uh, speak to a loved one or someone that you know, and what are the things that you should be saying? What are the thing? Uh, what are the things that you should be looking out for? And so to get a little bit more on that, uh, Mara Gruno from the Center for Suicide Prevention is going to join us after 5.30 to give us a little bit more, uh, a little bit more food for thought, I think, on, again, a really deep subject, but I think it's something that is uh, near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, especially as we continue the discussion about mental health. But we're going to talk Deerfoot next here on Calgary Today. All right, the topic du jour, especially if you're heading out on the road for the drive home is, especially if you're heading down Deerfoot, when is this going to change? Will it ever change? It feels like this has been talked about for, oh, I don't know, ever. Um, And so it's great to see that the province is getting behind this idea. North and southbound lanes will be uh, added to 21 kilometers of the roadway between Beddington Trail and the Anderson-Bow Bottom Interchange. And you're going to see some major renos at the uh, at some of the major um, interchanges as well, including 17th Ave, Memorial Drive. But what does this mean? We've been talking about it, but is this just election pandering? What is it? So to get to the bottom of it, we bring in Shane Keating, uh, Calgary City Councilor. Uh, Councilor Keating, thanks so much for the time today. Oh, thank you. I was uh, happy to be here. You were in the room for today's announcement from Transportation Minister Brian Mason. What do you take away from today's announcement? Well, I think this is a move forward that has been in the works for, you could say, you know, a couple decades. Uh, What we're actually doing today is we're taking that step forward, dedicating money, saying here's the things that we know have to be fixed, uh, and then they're going ahead and saying let's get it done in, uh, unfortunately, three years uh, before construction starts. But in terms of Deerfoot, that's the near future. Talk a little bit. I mean, last time we were talking, we were talking about some of the strategies that might be used in the interim and some of the, you know, slowing down sections of Deerfoot and that kind of thing. And so are those plans being put on the back burner for now, or do you want to still go through with those until we have these improvements done? Uh, where do you see the, the process going there? The, the RFP for that consultant to look at what can be done and where and what the cost is still out there. So I think that's a, an interim or a short-term uh, play. These are the long-term plays that are coming up, and, and we're talking about fixing the interchanges at uh, Anderson and Bow Bottom, uh, at Southland, at Heritage, at uh, Glenmore, uh, and then making sure that we have better lanes in the north so, so you can exit and, and enter properly. So uh, those are the, the interchanges. It also talks about the possibility of adding an extra lane at 23 kilometers long all the way from Anderson to Beddington Trail. Is there a little bit of a concern given, I mean, this is an NDP government, we're in the midst of uh, unofficially a, a election campaign that there's going to need to be some sort of review on these kinds of announcements if a new government is in place? I think these are something that's been in the works for a very long time. Uh, the previous government before uh, the, the government we have now said we have to do something. They were looking at things. 
it changed. This government said we have to do something. They're saying we're going to do it. Uh, and I would firmly believe that any government coming forward is going to match what we're here, as it has been a, a topic of discussion for a couple decades, for sure. So I'm not too worried about that. I'm going to assume that this is going to be something you're hoping to hear some answers on. I know we saw the YYC Matters website launched earlier in the week. Uh, this is one of those topics that will probably be front and center in your mind. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you can look at the, the traffic, uh, 157 uh, to 175,000 vehicles a day, depending on what stretch you're talking about. Um, it's, it's crucial to literally hundreds of thousands of people, uh, you know, on a daily basis. Uh, so it is a major concern for the city, and, and I would hope it's a major concern for any government that comes in at the provincial level. The two bottlenecks that always come to mind when we have this discussion about Deerfoot, the one at Memorial Drive going northbound, and then the one also northbound at 64th. These are the two big ones. And I look at uh, Bow Bottom Trail in the south when you're heading south. Do you get the sense with this plan that you're going to get the fixes that are needed to alleviate a lot of the congestion and bottlenecks that we have right now yeah, absolutely the the city and the province uh, went into a three-year plan which will end uh, at the end of uh, 2019 um, they've been studying they look at engineering and what can be done in each of those locations uh, and the intent of that study was it actually covered the deer foot from the far north Beddington all the way down to the south um, no other study has done that they've looked at bits and pieces but not totality uh, of a uh, a fix or a concept of way of making things easier. This does that. So uh, I do believe it will have a comprehensive view of, of how to change it for the better. When you talk about the interchange changes, what do you have in mind or do you have anything in mind that would stick out as being maybe the, the easy fixes for, especially those those high-profile ones, Memorial, 17th, Glenmore, Southland, Anderson, Bow Bottom. I mean, these are there are a lot of intersections. I don't, I don't believe it's going to be involving uh, blowing up overpasses and that, but at the same time, maybe it is. Uh, you know, I think it's widening. Uh, I mean, anytime you have a major freeway like we have that goes from three lanes to two, in two different sections in the southeast. Um, that's where you have the problem. Then, of course, that's Anderson and, and Glenmore. Uh, the Weave uh, exit and uh, entrance at uh, Southland and Anderson causes great difficulty. And the fact that you have to get over to the far two left lanes at Bow Bottom, um, you know, is, is where we're talking about. Fixing those in, in those three things, uh, you will change the, uh, the traffic flow in the south very, very easily. In the north, when we look at the um, the backup lanes or the exit lanes to be able to, to exit the deer foot, they're very short, and they actually back up on the deer foot. So just expanding those lanes alone. So those are the long-term fixes, but ones that could easily be fixed simply by expanding and making better and and you can do that in all those locations. In looking through some past articles about Deerfoot and about traffic just in general, one of the plans from way back when was called the Go Plan. Is this an extension of that, or how has that plan developed over the years? I think the Go Plan uh, had a, a couple things in it. One was is making sure that we have um, flexibility for goods movement, for transportation for individuals, for passengers, as well as uh, mass transit. And, the Deerfoot is a major roadway in the province and within the city. Uh, I think it's also a, a major roadway to allow the other two things to do with as good movements as well as uh, transportation of, of passengers. 
mass transit gives us that ability to make the beer foot less congested, yet still making sure all of the aspects of the city is going. So I think this is an extension of the GO plan. Uh, I think it is the making sure that we're looking at all mobility modes. How important is it for Calgarians to be just a little bit patient going into the next few years here when it comes to Deerfoot? Well, if you know, uh, if we can see and we know there's light at the end of the tunnel, uh, we can grin and bear it and move on. Uh, up to date, we've had no uh, good news as far as what can be done for the, with the Deerfoot. It's going to take about three years to uh, get the engineering and the tendering process finally complete. Uh, it's an expectation that shovels will be in the ground in 2023 um, with about a four-year completion uh, date. So seven years uh, before we see free flow. Um, but, you know, it's uh, seven years we've been waiting for a long time. So I think we can accept it and move forward. Mm-hmm. Here's hoping we can get uh, some finality to all of this because it's been a conversation, as you mentioned, that's been going on for a long time. Shane, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you. And you have a great day. Councillor Shane Keating joining us on Calgary today as we get the update on Deerfoot Trail North and southbound lanes to be added to the 21 kilometers between Beddington and the Anderson Bow Bottom Interchange. This is promised by the NDP government, and some people are saying, hey, this is just a, an election freebie being thrown out by the NDP. Councillor Keating saying, hey, this has been in the works for a while, and I don't see why anyone else would be going up against it. I do... Uh, agree with the notion of we should wait to see what kind of pressure will be taken off Deerfoot by Stony. And so if we don't need to necessarily be in a rush on Deerfoot, then we don't have to be. That being said, the city is still growing leaps and bounds. And so at some point, Deerfoot needs to be fixed, especially at those uh, bottlenecks that we keep complaining about over and over and over again for, I don't know, since I was able to drive and probably even before that. A BC man says he can eat his favorite foods and travel abroad without worry thanks to a clinical trial for a rare genetic disorder. Josh McQuillan was 12 when he was diagnosed with a dangerous condition that causes ammonia to build up in the body. He'd received experimental gene replacement therapy at a new clinic trial unit within the ICU at Calgary's Foothills Medical Center. Now, this is a joint project between the, the Albert Health Services and the University of Calgary. And joining us for a little bit more on the background of that is Dr. Anil Khan. He is an MD, medical geneticist, and study lead at the Cummings School of Medicine at the U of C. Dr. Khan, thanks so much for the time today. My pleasure. What does today mean when it comes to health care and providing uh, a service for those with a very serious illness such as this? So rare genetic diseases are hard to uh, take care of because uh, they're not uh, commonly diagnosed. It takes a long time to diagnose them, and sometimes we have to use special diets and uh, expensive drugs to treat them. And they're often due to a gene, uh, a segment of the DNA that's not working properly. So for a long time, researchers have been trying to figure out ways to correct that gene change. And so what we did in this patient was... We took a technology that developed a virus that we could code the gene into, and uh, then the product was given to the patient simply as an intravenous injection. And it went to his liver, and there seems to be a working copy of the gene that we inserted now working in the liver to help him 
manage his rare urea cycle disease. Talk a little bit about the the process that went into this, because I, I assume that this isn't something that happened overnight. I assume there's a lot of uh, a lot of work that went into it and a lot of research to figure out how exactly this was all going to play out. Yeah, I mean, I think the research goes back many, many years. The scientists have been working on using viruses to transfer genes or what we call gene therapy. And this particular trial is a trial sponsored by a company called Ultragenics. Ultragenics uh, approached us because of our experience with urea cycle diseases uh, to see if we could treat a patient. And, and then it was a combination of trying to put together uh, uh, space and working with the University of Calgary and Alberta Health Services, which came through for us. And we, we got this wonderful clinical trials unit uh, to treat these patients. So, so there are a number of Albertans affected with this disease. And by bringing this technology here to Alberta and to Canada in general, I think we can start making a difference in, in their lives. Absolutely, and and one of the things that uh, is talked about a lot as I was as I was watching what was being said earlier today, uh, a lot of it is just uh, basic uh, being able to have that improvement in the quality of life that really comes to life with this kind of treatment. Absolutely, I mean people with uh, these types of urea cycle diseases, uh, a lot of them die as babies because the treatments don't work or they get to medical attention too late. The rest of their lives, they are one step away from death, basically. I mean, one of our patients was found in a city bus at the end of the route in a coma, and luckily we were able to uh, uh, have him recovering. came to Foothills Hospital unresponsive with a card in his pocket that, that alerted the staff there to call me. That's not a situation that's, that's, um, that's very uh, good for patients. Uh, and with this therapy and this patient, he's not needing to take any of his regular medications and he doesn't have a protein restriction anymore uh, what he tells me is it's as if the disease isn't there and and to try to give people some normal life or or some movement towards a normal life so that the disease is not as much of a burden to them this this can be applied to so many other different genetic diseases that it can be a game changer when it comes to providing therapy for these diseases Talk a little bit about the game-changing aspect for the healthcare system. It's one thing to deal with this from you know a personal standpoint, but for another, for the the system to be able to benefit from it potentially. Yeah. So if we look at the average life of one of these patients, you know they may make three to four trips to the ICU a year because they get an infection and their ammonia is high. Each of those uh, visits can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars in special medications and procedures to treat, which, which of course, is covered by the province. Uh, with this therapy, if we can give an injection to avoid even needing to get sick or come to hospital, that has a huge impact on how much healthcare resources are used in rare diseases, and not just for urea cycle diseases. I think a large number of diseases in this particular technology, particularly of the liver, could help uh, could be helped with this type of technology. So, so you know, as as costs for managing chronic diseases escalate because we've been able to help people survive, we have to look at ways to manage things in the long run that that is sustainable. And it's going to take technology and and these type of trials to to move things in that direction. Do you get the feeling that this could open up future doors for healthcare and for uh, research into other issues, other diseases down the road? 
Absolutely, and a lot of work is going on around the world, and we are trying to attract some of that to Canada and to the centre here in Calgary. And I think success with these trials helps tell uh, other companies and other researchers that they can get this done in Calgary with the special arrangements here between the University and Alberta Health Services. So uh, it is opening things up to even more rare diseases, and I I expect to see more of an application. And we may come to a day where if you get diagnosed with a rare disease, that there is a gene therapy treatment center that you can go to that can that can help correct what the problem is. What does it mean to you to be a part of something like this? And what did it mean to be able to uh, to turn this public and make people understand what exactly is uh, what is being researched here and and the kinds of things that you guys are coming up with? I mean, one of my goals has been, you know, as I go through my work, is someday to be able to, uh, at least with one disease, I set a goal with just one disease, to be able to say to parents, you know, we've got this covered. Yes, we've made a diagnosis in your child with something really rare that's really serious, but they're going to be okay. This helps me move a significant step in that direction to say, we've we've been working on technology, we're going to produce a better outcome and that's i think a lot of us that's all we really want to do is just make the lives of of patients with these diseases a lot better Mm -hmm. dr khan congratulations on rolling this out today and all the best in your future research thank you very much Dr. Anil Khan is a medical geneticist and study lead at the Cummings School of Medicine, the University of Calgary. Is uh, they roll out their new um, treatment through genetics to help with experimental medicine towards uh, solving some of the issues surrounding some rare forms of diseases. And again, it's one of those things where the more that you get. Uh, happening here the more the i think you're going to see more developments come here and more tests be done here and that's certainly a good thing for uh not just uh, for the local standing of our researchers but also for uh everyone around the world so uh, some great things again be happening right here in our own backyard scalgar today on 770 chqr anybody else been trying to Connect all the dots, follow what everybody's trying to say when it comes to Brian Jean being back in the political game, perhaps Jason Kenney reacting to what is potentially happening, although it's been said not to. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around. That's why we wanted to bring in Global's Adam McVicker to uh, help us sort it all out. Adam, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thanks for having me, Joe. Much appreciated. Take us back to the very beginning. Where did these rumors start and where have they gone since this morning? We've been hearing from sources over the last few days that there's been something in the works when it comes to the Freedom Conservative Party, some rumors around Brian Jean, but nothing super confirmed until the Calgary Herald this morning. Rick Bell uh, wrote a column stating that Joe Maglioka told him that Brian Jean called him and asked him to run for the, uh, for the Freedom Conservative Party and that Jean would be the leader of that Freedom Conservative Party. Uh, I did speak to Joe Maglioka this afternoon. I just got off the phone with him just a few minutes ago. And he says he says that's true. Brian Jean did give him a call and that Jean was looking to get back into the political fold here. So this whole story is kind of still playing out. Uh, a lot of the pundits, a lot of the people who are involved still really don't know what's going on because it's still so fresh. 
Well, and I think the other thing, too, is that it's almost those that unlikely bedfellows situation because it wasn't too long ago. It's still fresh in a lot of people's minds that Brian Jean and Derek Fildebrandt weren't exactly the best of buds. And it sounds like from what sources are saying that maybe they made up. I mean, we have not heard from uh, Derek Fildebrandt at all today, nor the Freedom Conservative Party. They have not been returning our requests for comment. Uh, Brian Jean did tweet today, though, saying, you know, he's heard all these crazy rumors about something that is going to be happening tomorrow, but it does not involve him. Now, when I mention that tomorrow is because from what sources were saying, from what things were sounding like, the Freedom Conservative Party was supposed to make an announcement tomorrow, of course, the throne speeches on Monday. They were supposed to make a, an announcement tomorrow, and that would be the big announcement. Brian Jean's back. He's running. He's going to be our leader. It would have been ratified through more of a back door, back room sort of deal among the party executive rather than more of a leadership contest. And uh, that was what people were saying was supposed to happen tomorrow. There's no confirmation that's going to be happening right now either. And of course, Jean's denying all of this uh, on his Twitter account. So then the question becomes, how does the UCP respond? Because I thought we had all conservatives were under one tent. And, and uh, UCP leader Jason Kenney did respond today. He was out in Canmore announcing some conservation initiatives his party would put in place if they were elected. Kenney did say that uh, he feels that it's unfortunate that Brian Jean does not uh, accept the United Conservative Party, the, the, the vote, the 95% vote for unity. He says he feels Gene did, does not accept that. He hasn't come to terms with that. And that explains what's going on uh, right now. So that was how Kenny handled uh, this whole situation. You also mentioned that you had chatted with some uh, political analysts and that. And what are they telling you about what's been going on over the last couple of days here? Well, this is something that uh, I just spoke to Dwayne Brad. I just got back to the office from speaking with Dwayne Brad. And he mentioned to me that um, it's he's he's noticed things over the last little while. Of course, after Brian Jean stepped down, he came out and said, "I have a big announcement uh, on the future of Alberta," and that ended up being the birth of his daughter, which just happened recently. Of course, mm-hmm. congratulations to Mr. Jean on that. And then he wrote a couple of op-ed pieces that came out over the last little while. The most recent one in the Edmonton Journal within the last couple of weeks, and the most recent one he was really calling out Mr. Kenny uh, for. Make for his for his announcements on cuts, saying that the cuts weren't deep enough. He has to cut more. So he attacked him from the further right. And so ever since then, that has raised a lot of eyebrows with with uh, some of these pundits and some of these analysts saying, well, you know, is is Mr. Gene dipping his toe back in the water here a little bit? Like they're still trying to figure out his motivations, and it's very tough. Uh, to, to figure all that out when, of course, Brian Jean's not speaking to the media and denying all of these rumors as well. But for them, it, it hints at possibly two things, either, you know, some pre-election craziness or some dissent and possibly uh, some, I guess, frustration and friction when it comes to Alberta's political right. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be fascinating to see how this one plays out over the next couple of days, especially given on Monday we have the throne speech. Adam McVicker, Global News reporter, thanks for giving us a little bit of an update here. Joe, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR.
This is a story that has uh, gotten a lot of attention. A lot of people talking about measles lately, and even uh, chicken pox, I've heard, uh, is making a return somehow. But this one, a confirmed case of measles, prompting a public alert to potential exposures here in the Calgary area. March 5th, in and around Cochrane, so the Tim Hortons on Westside Drive, a multi-business facility on 2nd Ave, and the Cumbrian Arms Pub. Then on the 6th, at that same facility in Cochrane, on the 8th, at the Rexall on 1st Street in Cochrane. Again in Cochrane on the 11th at the same multi-business facility, the Yoshi Grill and the Save on Foods. Then here in Calgary on the 12th at Cabela's on 64th at the Grub Deerfoot City on 64th and the Bella Concert Hall at Mount Royal University also on the 12th. So what is this all pertaining to? We bring in uh, Dr. Gia Hu, the Medical Officer of Health for Alberta Health Services. Dr. Hu, thanks so much for the time today. You're very welcome. Give us a little bit of an update here on the situation that you guys have pointed out about measles. Yeah, so we have a case of Lattenford measles in a, a resident of Calgary Zone that's travel-related. Uh, while this uh, person was infectious, uh, they did go to a number of uh, public places. And so we've issued a media advisory uh, for people who went to those places to uh, watch for signs and symptoms of measles. And for some of those people to potentially, you know, call HealthLink for further information. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you guys face in terms of the number of potential exposures this person did have. Yeah, so, I, I mean, the person did go to a, a large number of public places, some of which yeah, had a lot of people there. Uh, you know, measles is sort of unique in that it's uh, very, very infectious, very, very contagious, uh, and it is spread by uh, airborne means. So that being said, you know, we've... Uh, tried to contact uh, the people who are at highest risk of infection. Uh, and uh, we're hoping, you know, the public announcement will alert others, uh, you know, to uh, be aware they have been exposed. Talk a little bit about some of the, the risks for those who may have been exposed and what they should be looking out for. Yeah, so for people uh, who may have been exposed, uh, I would say that, you know, if, if you were in one of those places, uh, the date and location is listed on that news release, everyone should watch for signs and symptoms of measles. And those signs and symptoms include things like you know, cough, fever, runny nose, as well as a, a rash that's sort of a red splotchy rash uh, on your body. Uh, for people who are actually in one of those places on March the 12th, um, we would recommend, actually, if the person uh, who is exposed is, is susceptible to measles, uh, that they attend a, uh, an immunization clinic we're holding at the Brentwood Mall uh, tomorrow because there's still a window to sort of get some extra protection there. And then for anybody who was in one of those places on March 11th or 12th, uh, if they happen to be pregnant or immunocompromised or under one year of age, uh, we'd ask that they call HealthLink and uh, we'll do a, a special assessment on them. This is kind of highlighting as well, I suppose, the notion of staying at home when you're sick because if you do end up being diagnosed down the road with measles, you expand that uh, possible exposure even that much more by whether it's going to school or whatever the case may be, you're going to work. Yeah, that's 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 very true in general. You know, when someone is sick, we do ask them to stay home. Um, I, I think one of the challenges is just, you know, like how sure are you that somebody necessarily has measles versus just a cold? And that can be difficult. And that's why, you know, we do wait for that lab testing to come back in, in many situations. Absolutely. Dr. Who, I do appreciate the time. I know you're a busy guy, so thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Have a good afternoon. You as well. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. It's funny listening during commercial break there and hearing Sue say 
I wonder how much the SNC-Lavalin uh, debacle is going to change the political thoughts of those on the left and those on the right and those in the center. And I wonder the same thing about this whole Jason Kenney uh, leadership kamikaze campaign, that kind of thing. You add that into what is happening now with Brian Jean, and I wanted to give everybody a little bit more context and hear what everybody has been saying to this point surrounding this morning's, I don't want to call it a blockbuster, because from all indications, it might not even be true. So Rick Bell from the Calgary Sun writes this article saying Joe Maglioka called after a call from Brian Jean saying, hey, I'm in on the Freedom Conservative Party and I'm going to be the leader of the Freedom Conservative Party, which had my head spinning right away just in the sense of I didn't realize and granted, it's not like I'm best friends with either Brian Jean or Derek Fildebrandt, but I was under the impression they weren't the best of friends. To which I went, okay, well, I guess they kind of have a common enemy or a common person who has beaten them or who has wronged them maybe in one way, shape, or form, that being Jason Kenney, the leader of the United Conservative Party. But when we talk about a united conservative front, is it really united? And so there's a lot of questions that get raised around this. So then you have Brian Jean coming out on Twitter today and saying, wow, I too have heard crazy rumors about something coming Friday, but... None of it involves me. Hashtag election silly season. Okay, so that kind of denounces that. You have former Prime Minister Stephen Harper tweeting out, conservatives win when we are united. That was true when we united our federal party, and it is true in Alberta today. Personal ambition and fighting old battles must take a backseat to the best interests of our province. Jason Kenney received an overwhelming mandate from Alberta Conservatives to lead us into the next election. Everything that has occurred since has shown that party members made the right choice. Laureen and I will be strongly supporting Jason, and we are confident that all true Alberta Conservatives will help him defeat this NDP government, a.k.a. shots fired at anybody who's decided to go Freedom Conservative Party fashion. Then he had Jason Kenney himself. Speaking out about this whole thing earlier today, and I wanted to air the full piece just so you've got a little bit of context in your drive home. And has had a hard time coming to terms with the decision made by grassroots conservatives in our leadership election. But it now appears that he's also having a hard time uh, accepting the decision of grassroots conservatives, 95% of them, uh, to support uniting into one big party. Uh, that's unfortunate, but it doesn't reflect the views of the vast majority of uh, Albertans who want to get rid of this job-killing NDP government and get our province back to work. Uh, together, we have built the largest and most popular provincial political party in Canada. And that's a reflection of the depth of Albertans' desire for change. Uh, we, so we will not be distracted by uh, from our responsibility to offer that change, uh, to create jobs, to get our economy back on track, uh, and to fight for fairness for Alberta. Uh, we, as I said at our founding convention, this coming campaign is not about politics or power, it's about people. The kind of people who have lost their homes, their businesses, and their jobs, what they want is hope. And it's our responsibility to offer that to them uh, which is what we'll be focused on today and every day in the weeks to come. Uh, so this is about 
the kind of people I've met all across Alberta over the past three years. Uh, it's not about political games. So you don't have any fear of the repeat of last election where the Conservative vote was split between two parties? Uh, well, people do need to be conscious of that. Uh, the whole reason we uh, we decided, but 95% of us decided, uh, to create one common sense uh, pro-growth party was exactly to stop the risk of vote splitting. That's exactly what the NDP wants. And uh, that's why 95% of grassroots conservatives voted to create a united party. By the way, since we created that party uh, in July of 2017, we have grown and grown and grown to now nearly 160,000 members, making us by far the largest provincial political party in Canada, uh, consistently with the support of over half of Albertans and all of the polls. This tells us that Albertans want one united, common sense alternative to the NDP. And that's exactly what we're going to present them with in the next election. We won't be distracted distracted by people who want to p play uh, political games and by people who want to once again d d uh, divide the free enterprise side of Alberta politics. Now, to be fair, the N he did say the NDP wants him to be split. Brian, uh, Brian Mason wasn't exactly saying that today. Quite frankly, um, I, I'd be more comfortable facing Jason Kenney because I think people are much more uncomfortable with him and... Uh, um, there's a real lack of trust there. There's one other clip that our newsroom heard from Brian Mason on this and made me kind of giggle a little bit. Well, I'd rather face one conservative party under Jason Kenney. Because? People don't trust him. I, okay. The one thing that I will say, more and more people, whether it's SNC-Lavalin, whether it's any kind of politics, I think a lot of people are struggling to trust politicians. Period. Just a wild stab in the dark, though. Let's turn our attention, and this I'm going to admit right off the bat, this is a heavy subject, but we're going to start with a story that you might have seen in the news over the last day or so. A couple of Calgary Transit operators likely saving the life of a woman at the Rundle Station on Tuesday night. The woman was standing outside the railing on the plus 15 walkway over 36th Street when the operators noticed a commotion. After speaking with the woman, they were able to reach and pull her over the railing back to safety on the walkway before she could do any harm to herself. It got me to wondering the question... For our listeners is, would you know what to do if you found yourself in that situation? Do you, would you know what to say in that situation? It's a word that not a lot of people like talking about, but it's as we talk about mental health issues, it is something that I think is a pertinent conversation to have. So uh, Mara Grunow is the executive director of the Center for Suicide Prevention, and she joins us now on the program. Mara, thanks for the time. Thanks, Joe, for having me on. I know there's a lot of different stages that you can come across when, you've de when you're dealing with someone who is having those mental health issues and potentially those suicidal thoughts. And so let's start from the ground level here and... How do you approach someone who you know is having these thoughts or having these these troubles? So if you're approaching somebody who you know, with whom you have a relationship, uh, the best thing to do is to be honest um, and direct, but integrate it into your regular sort of conversation or interaction with them. So one of the scripts that we often um, go to for people is, you know, I, I'm, 
I'm thinking about you. Like, you're not yourself these days. You're not yourself these days is kind of a nice opener because uh, you're not putting someone on the spot. You're showing that you've observed something in their behavior that is making you kind of think twice. So try and keep it open um, and sincere, but uh, you might feel wound up, but don't try to not show that. So. You know, I'm concerned about you. You're not yourself these days. I've noticed this and that. I've noticed that, you know, you don't come out with us as much as you used to. Or when I call, it goes to voicemail. Or, um, you know, you seem really blue. Or you've told me all these things that are going on in your world. Like, that sounds like a lot for one person to manage. And try to allow space for them to talk. You know, they may come back with, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Okay, well, I just thought I'd ask because, you know, I'm, you're important to me and I'm concerned about you. So convey that, the value of, of the person and the value of the relationship. Um, and if they do come back with, you know what, like, things are really sucky and this is why, then be really quiet and just listen. Don't cut them off. Don't interrupt. It's really hard to do, but just be really quiet and listen. And then when they stop talking, the best thing you can do is reflect back. So something that might be bothering somebody else might seem trivial to you. And you might be tempted because it's so easy to say, oh, just do this. (laughs) We all love to solve other people's problems. Don't do that. Just listen. Wow, that sounds like a lot. Or, wow, you've got a lot on your plate. Or, wow, it sounds like, you know, you've got some big decisions to make. Try and reflect back what they've said. Because then they will feel more comfortable telling you the next part. And again, listen. If you are concerned about suicide, you need to ask them directly. Sometimes when people are going through things like this, they consider suicide. Are you considering suicide? It's important to say the word because that means they won't have to. All they have to say is yes or no. And asking that question is really, really hard. So you have to kind of take a deep breath and be as direct as you can while still being kind. If they are thinking of suicide, research indicates that they will tell you. They will say, well, yeah, actually. And again, try to remain calm. Definitely remain calm on the Mm -hmm. outside, even though on the inside, you know, very few people would be calm. Mm -hmm. And really listen to what they say. Don't try and talk them out of it. I mean, we don't want them to die. We want to talk them out of it, but we don't want to tell them what to do. We want the locus of control to stay with them. Is there a point where you've, you're pushing too hard? And I'll use the example. Some people will feel like you need to give space or there comes a point where you've hit the, the threshold of being pushy. Definitely, if we're in the judgy, solving other people's problems camp, then yes, absolutely. And so I think our tendency, you know, like, I mean, let's be honest. If you're face-to-face with somebody who's seriously considering ending their life, most of us are going to be pretty panicky, right? Mm -hmm. And so our tendency is going to be to say things like, oh, you don't want to do that. You know, like, why would you be so selfish? And, you know, you can, you can, there's so much to live for. And really, like, you need to think about your family and think about this and think about that. That, that is over the line. Um, but it's a very natural tendency for the helper to say those things. We're human and we don't want to see anything happen to this person. And so we try to 
to hold on to the control, we try to convince people to see things our way. And that makes us feel better. But what we need to do, and this is counterintuitive and it's really hard, what we need to do is sit with the person and recognize, yeah, I can see that for you right now, suicide is an option. Now, you're not agreeing that you want that to be an option, but you can acknowledge that that's where they're at. That is what will help build trust. I can see that you're in a situation right now that is awful. I don't know how you feel, but I can see that you are holding a lot of pain. I can see that, you know, or it sounds like, it sounds like you are going through an unbearable time right now. I am here for you. I'm here to listen. And create an opportunity and a a climate um, that lets the person know that you've got their back, but you're not going to be, you know, the busybody, bossy person. Which, like I say that, and I I don't mean to judge people who are that way, because frankly, we're all that way. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to judge. It's it's just exactly what we want to do. Meryl, when you hear that story... What can we take away from it? What did you learn from that? And what did you, uh, how did you feel about the way that they handled the situation? So the first thing is an incredible kudos to these two transit operators. They are real live heroes. Mm-hmm. They're nothing short of that. Uh, the steps that they took to help this woman are more than remarkable because exactly what you said, they're, um, it's in a very public place. They've come across a situation where you need quick thinking, but you need to also appear very calm. Um, uh, they, you know, it's a person they don't know. Uh, I'm sure there were lots of onlookers, uh, so that can really increase the pressure. Um, all kinds of things. I mean, I can't even name all the factors that are involved in this situation, mm-hmm. but these men are true heroes. Lot, some people can just do that sort of work just off the top of their head. Most of us, need a little bit of training. Most of us need to, first of all, uh, understand that suicide is in the realm of possibility, that sometimes people do attempt suicide, sometimes right in front of us, or are at risk of suicide right in front of us, and we may not know what to look for. So the first part of the training is to identify what we're looking for. The second part of the training is, okay, I observed someone who may be at risk, uh, and now what do I do? How do I respond in a way that's empathetic and helpful um, w- while not putting myself at risk? Um, and and that is exactly the training that we uh, that we provide. And we have provided that training with Transit. Transit uh, is like an incredible leader in our community in terms of the suicide prevention education that they have provided all of their train operators and um, a whole complement of I think they call it the the uh, customer-facing team. So people who work on the train platforms, for instance, uh, have all been trained in suicide prevention education so that they can respond to people at risk. This situation goes beyond what the the typical transit uh, scenarios would include. Uh, so these people really acted above and beyond their roles mm-hmm. in all kinds of ways. And uh, and it's just amazing. Absolutely. Uh, and Mara, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you so much. Well, Joe, thank you so much for having me on. And I would just, if I can just add that if you are in crisis or you know someone in crisis, here in Calgary, you can always call the Distress Centre. You can call them 24-7 any day of the week. The number is 403 266 
888-447-5757, or you can dial 211, and they will take your call. Thank you so much for that, Mara. And if you want more information online, if you want to search it out, suicideinfo.ca is where you'll want to go for that. Again, I know it's a heavy topic to end the show on, but at the same time, uh, one that I think when you hear stories of heroism like you heard yesterday and this, as you're reading this morning, it does bring to light that question as to what do you say in those situations? What do you, what is the best course of action? And as I asked is, is there a point where you are perceived as being too nosy or too pushy and you end up maybe doing more harm than good? And so I thought she presented that in a case where you can actually walk in with a whole lot of empathy and understanding. And again, listening is the key for people who, uh, just need, it's not even a hand up or a hand out or anything like that. It's just somebody to listen to. Very, very important as we navigate these waters around mental health and suicide prevention. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.